Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. So I am super, super excited about this episode because this is the audio from the New York City uh, book launch event from my new book, Choosing to Prosper, Triumphing Over Adversity, Stepping Out of Comfort Zones, and Achieving Your Life and Money Dreams. And I am also very grateful to one of my dear friends, Ola Ogunsanya, who hosted the interview with me for this book. And so we're sharing this episode so that you can get a bit of the feel in the room and hear the conversation and discussion around the book Choosing to Prosper. There is a another part of this which was a Q&A section which you'll have to watch on YouTube because um, you'll be able to see folks asking the questions but this this part of um, the event is the discussion that Ola and I had regarding the book. If you haven't already picked up a copy of Choosing to Prosper, you can pick it up everywhere books are sold. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you have this book and you love it, head on over to wherever you bought this book and leave a review. You can find it as an ebook, an audiobook, and also as a physical copy. So I hope you guys enjoy tuning in to this very, very special episode. No Clever Girl Finance, maybe you saw a post on Instagram and then you started to follow or maybe you found her out on uh, YouTube or LinkedIn. Yes, they do videos on LinkedIn too. (laughs) And I mean, it just feels good, the vibe in this room. And so with that, um, I'm just going to invite Bola up because I'm really excited to get into this book. Everybody done said everything about Bola, so I have to say something too before we get started. I feel so honored. First of all, I'm Ola Ogunsanya, and that's my sister. Um, I feel so honored that you asked me to do this with you because, and we'll get into it. <laughs> this is our book. <laughs> Clever Girl Finance is our baby. And I have been so, so, so blessed to watch every moment, every milestone with a text, a call, doing the happy dances. And this is only the beginning. So I hope you're ready because where God is propelling you to, baby girl, you ain't even ready. So um, without much further ado, we're going to talk about the book. And if you haven't had a chance to order it yet, 
It's available everywhere. You can um, get a book. Um, please do write your reviews on Amazon. <laughs> so, my dear. Okay, let's get into it. So much to unpack. Okay, you're scared. Don't be scared, girl. <laughs> so, um, I just want to take a moment and just really take this in. I just really want to take this in. So one of the things that I found so interesting about choosing to prosper, first of all, your name, Mojibola, it means something profound. You know, you all call her Bola. That's not her name. <laughs> it's Mojibola. I woke up to meet wealth, to meet prestige, to meet grace, to meet honor. I am chosen for this. This is who I am. So I have no choice but to prosper. That is what your name embodies, babe. And um, I found it so interesting with the way that you brought us through your journey. You brought us through your journey from telling us about your, the women that preceded you, right? Your grandparents, your grandmom on your mom's side, your dad's side, we, we heard about your aunties. Like all of the women that came before you and how each of them with their special stories have like shaped you and birthed you and they motivated you in your life's journey. And with many people who write about the memoirs, um, they struggle with figuring out the scope of what they want to write about. Can you just tell us a little bit about that process? Like how did you decide what the framing would be and what was that process like for you? Um, in terms of crafting what I wanted to talk about, um, I felt like I wanted to give people context. Uh, it's hard to tell a story if you don't know where somebody is coming from. And I was selective about what I shared in the book because um, my family background is somewhat difficult. But I wanted to share the stories that I felt would be most meaningful and understandable to someone who, is, who has never heard about Clever World Finance, never heard about Bola, but is taking this journey, reading this book, picking it up on a bookshop, and just trying to understand why is this person writing this book? Why does this person care about the choice to prosperity? Um, why does it even matter? And I think it's important to, so one of these quotes talk about reflecting on where you come from. And a lot of times you don't realize why you are who you are or why you are where you are until you actually look back and see the people who came before you who either set the stage or did not set the stage for you. So it was important for me to recognize my grandparents. One of them I, I never met. I just heard about her, which was my maternal grandmother. And then my paternal grandmother, um, I met, she was much older by the time I was born, but I got to experience who she was. And those two women, even without knowing my maternal grandmother, had a profound impact on my mother and my dad and also who I was, because I heard about them all the time. And because of who they were, my parents were who they are, and I am who I am. So that was, th th that part of sharing my story was really important. And then the other aspects of what I shared in the book, because um, there are many things to pick from, right? And you obviously don't want to um, go through, go on a tangent. Because sometimes you read books and you're like, oh, what's this person talking about? It's just talking, <laughs> talking, talking. So I just wanted to pick stories that um, 
as a woman of color, that I know that other women like me can identify with. And even if you're not a woman of color, just uh, having that understanding of where this woman is coming from to give you perspective about the world you live in and understanding that it's not all black and white and people do face their own struggles even if they, don't, they may not look, look like it. But also then, despite the good and despite the bad, um, still looking for the opportunities to take your next step to do well, regardless of where you've been to. So in terms of picking context for the book, I wanted to convey, okay, these are the stories, these are great stories, these are bad stories, this is where I'm coming from, this is who makes me, me, and then now it's your turn to determine that for yourself. Yeah, I, I, I got that. And what I love about your style of writing is, and I told you this from the first one, you do this thing where it's like, come girl, let me tell you a little something. <laughs> that's like, that's your style, you draw people in, in a comfortable way, and you, you, you help us follow along, and this was no different. But what I especially enjoyed is how, after each chapter, you reflected on the theme of each chapter, and then forced us to take a look at ourselves, because I felt like I was building my story as well as I read through each chapter. So let's talk about a, a few of those stories. So let's talk about, I'm gonna start from where, because um, we built to touch a little bit on, about your grandparents. Um, one of the things that stuck to me was the resilience and experience, like your grandma walking to the market, I mean, to the farm, and then going into labor. And it's like, okay, this baby's coming. Like, <laughs> there was that. And then also, your mom's mom, who persevered and really pushed towards like creating her own business it, at a time when women were not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. So as you were, I know this was your personal story, but for you as a for me as a reader, I was like, wow, these are so amazing. And I, I think back to my own grandparents and people in my life that really inspire me in that way. But for you, writing that, what was it like for you, like doing the research, remembering, and then reliving in some cases? What was that like for you? So it was not necessarily research, because these are stories that you hear about all the time. So my paternal grandmother, these are things that she would just say in passing about how like, she would see like, my uncle and she'd be like, look at you. You don't even know what happened when I gave birth to you and you're talking to me like this, that kind of. <laughs> so my dad's younger brother, the story is she was on the way to the farm and she went into labor. And when you, to give you context, the farm is you know usually several miles from the village or the town. And they don't have cars. They're walking. They're carrying their cutlass, their pick, their you know. And then she goes into labor. You go to the farm with your your peers, so your other wives. And she goes into labor. And there's not there's no hospital bed there. There's no anesthesiologist. There's nothing. And so they shift to the side of the road. They have this baby. They put the baby in the basket. She puts the basket on her head, and then she continues back home. And sometimes the journey to the farm was a few days, like three a three day journey away from home and this is just what the reality was and that's the story she talked about because that's just you know she would see him and be like oh look at you <laughs> do, do, do you know and then my mom my, my maternal grandmother um, so both of these women um, my maternal grandmother was much younger than my maternal grandmother my parents have a significant age gap but my my dad's mom was born in 1902 right so she died when I was 
she died in 1996. Mm -hmm. And so she had a lot of different experiences to share. Like there were hopes that she had for, for me um, and even her own daughters, which her daughters did not have the opportunity that she just, she wanted to do her best to take care of her children. And her, her you know, back then the idea of the woman's place was you get married, you have children, and you, you take care of your children and that's, your, that's the work you do. You are not a pioneer of anything, you're not a business person. In fact, you need to ideally provide male children because all these girls are not, can't really make money, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So for her, she wanted to work because in a polygamous family, my, my grandfather had five wives and there are many, many children, um, you get to a point where it's difficult to support all these mouths to feed and all these wives. And so she's like, if I want my kids to go to school, I need to figure out how to make it work. And so she started selling petty goods. And petty goods means selling whatever she could sell, sweets, biscuits, you save some money, you build up a bigger fund, maybe you buy, I don't know, a hamper, you save some money, maybe you buy some jewelry, you save more money, and then you start to travel around to places, marketplaces where you feel like. Um, you can sell these wares and make a profit and then bring it back home and take care of your children and then take whatever you have left over and invest it back into your business. So that's what both of my grandmothers did to take, to raise their children. Otherwise, their kids would, would be there reliant on the, the grandfather. And back in those polygamous families, you have to be on good terms with your husband as one of many wives. Otherwise, you get nothing. There's always a favorite wife, right? Um, in, a, in a polygamous family. My grandmother was the youngest, the youngest wife and she was married to a much older man. And so even if she attempted to be the favorite wife, the other wives were like, excuse, come to the back of the line. Come back here. You get back here. You just got here. Get back here. So she had to figure it out for herself. So for them, it was just finding ways to make it work for their children, so their children could have better lives than them. So my grandmother named me, that grandmother. Yeah. And I say in the book that when she named me, I imagine that she thought of all these hopes and aspirations that she had for herself, she had for her daughters, and she's like, you know what, I'm gonna give it to this grandchild now because she's my future generation, and you know, so that's why she named me Mojibola. And it means what Ola said, and probably to her who named me, it had her own personal meaning for the name she gave me as well. Amazing. So let's talk about your mom. She's your not mom. here, by the way. She's... <laughs> you share in the book that she made the decision to go back to school after you were born, um, despite the fact that it created um, strains in the marriage, because the timing wasn't ideal, right? Mm -hmm. um, you must have felt so proud when she graduated, because you shared how you went to class with her. You yes. practically went to college with your mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what was that like for you? So my mom got married when she was 19 years old. Some of you have heard this story. She got married when she was 19 years old. My dad was in his 30s, had a PhD. My mom was a high school diploma. And she was, she was okay living her life. And then, you know, as she starts to have her kids um, get into her 30s, she starts to realize that, you know what? Hmm, I'm looking at friends of mine. This person is trying to get divorced, they, you know, and they can't leave because they don't have money. This person's husband is abusive. This person's husband that died, has died, and the husband's family comes in and takes over everything. And at the time, my mom had a best friend, um, and her best friend committed suicide mm -hmm. because she felt like she was trapped without options, and she... Um, I don't like to share this story because it's not my story to tell. She, she would have been formerly... Um, my godmother, 
Um, and I remember her, but she, my mom carries a huge amount of guilt for this because when she was going through what she was going through, she called my mom and she said, hey, Emily, can you come over? I really need to talk to you. My mom is like, no, not right now. I need to take care of my kids. So she goes to a beach and she lays her blanket and she goes into the water and she doesn't come out. And it was intentional. It wasn't that she drowned or anything. This was an intentional action. And my mom, for her, this was, so seeing her friends going through these different situations and seeing this one best friend now commit suicide, she felt that if I don't take things into my own hands and create my own options, this could be me where I feel trapped in this, whatever situation, right? You never know. So she decided that she was going back to school. Um, and my dad uh, was challenged by this because as African men are raised, you're raised to take care of your family come hell or high water. That's, you know, like, you, you, you never want to hear outside from someone who's been raised well that this man is not taking care of his children, right? You don't want to, people who carry that pride in their families don't ever want to hear that. And he felt challenged, like, why do you need to go back to school? Is what you, what I'm providing for you not enough? Is, you know, what is the issue? And then you, we have these four children. Who is going to take care of them? And so my mom was just really adamant in that moment with me as a little girl that she wanted to go to school. And so we lived in Vienna and she started out going to this college where I would go to her college classes with her. We would both sit in the back and she would tell me to shh. <laughs> and I would sit there with her and we would do whatever in the class. I don't know. I and remember then, you saying you found it so hard to keep quiet. I, I just remember that it was really hard to just sit there and be quiet. And then she decided that she wanted to pursue a master's degree and come to Albany, New York. And she, my dad is like, no. And she's like, well, I'm going. And then she took me and left my brothers with him. Well, she initially left me. And then she came back to get me. And she went to school. And that caused a lot of conflict in their relationship. I remember a lot of arguments, a lot of you know, just not being happy. But my mom was like, I need to do what I have to do. So. As a, as a little girl, I, I didn't fully understand it, but I remember that there was an issue with mommy going to school, and then mommy comes to Albany, New York with just me, and it's because she's going to school. So seeing her graduate and know that she had to, knowing that she had to go through all that conflict was just like, I remember my mom's graduation like it was yesterday. It was, she bought me a dress, like a, I have a hat. <laughs> you know, the picture in the book. <laughs> Like that day was like the best day of my life. My mom is graduating from college. And, you know, I know when you walk across the stage and they clap. I was like, that's just it was, to me it was all about my mom. Yes, it's for her. So like that was just a very proud moment, knowing that she was able to accomplish that for herself, um, and she she had to create that space, maybe a little bit by force, mm. in order for her to to give herself those options that her friend mm -hmm. um, didn't have. I thought it was interesting when you said that was your first glimpse into what financial independence means. Because um, sometimes women face hard sacrifices, but it's like having that clear picture, um, making an intention about, okay, this is what I want. It's, it, it's beyond going to school. It was beyond going to school for her. It was more about setting herself up. So then you talk about her coming back establishing her career, setting herself up, and all of that was worth it at the end of the day. And then we fast forward to when your family, then it was time for you to go to college. And they made the decision, 
around sending you back to Vienna, which was interesting. You went back to the school that your mom went to. Mm -hmm. I went to my mom's college. Yeah, yeah. And then during that time, you experienced some really interesting racism. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, so um, I, racism exists everywhere where everybody is not, does not look the same. And um, in Vienna, racism in, in Europe in general, especially like when you think about Central and Eastern Europe, I'm sure you guys heard the accounts of black students in Ukraine. It's very, very reminiscent. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's very clear cut. Um, here, we can like, hi, you know. We can be friends at the surface level, but when it really comes down to it, I will throw you under the bus if I'm a racist. But we can be friends on a surface level. We can be cool, we can, be, we can work in the same office, you can come to my barbecue, you know, you can be my neighbor, that kind of. But in, in, in Europe, the racism is more clear cut. It's more like, you know what? We cannot be friends because you are black. That's nothing personal, you're just black. That's just what it is. And in a way, I appreciate that because I, I always knew where I stood when I lived there. I always knew who were my friends and who were not my friends um, versus here where it's like, I'm not sure until the incident happens and they show you their true selves. They're like, okay, now I know how to, I know how to manage you at work in the office, on the interwebs. Yeah, so in, in Austria it was, and you know, I, it's not something that, it was just something that has always been a part of my life. Like going to college, I was not shocked about racism because my parents experienced it, right? There's a story I talk about in the book where I was a baby, but I heard about it. My dad did not park his car in the, in the driveway or garage of our house for whatever reason. He parked his car on the street. The next morning he wakes up, the car, they, they made an intentional effort. The car is on cinder blocks, the tires are stacked next to it, and there's a note on the car. And it says, we don't want you here. Simple, they did not, they didn't steal the tires, they didn't steal the car, they just sent a clear and direct message. So I always knew how to move and I was always cautious, right? Even in school, I went to school with a lot of extremely wealthy kids in, in Austria, like very wealthy um, kids who came to school in their BMWs and their Mercedes. And it's not like your basic BMW you know, and their Ferraris, like these type of kids would come to school and there's this black girl from Africa and they're like, oh wow, how'd you get here? <laughs> is, you swam? Is, your, is your daddy the king of your jungle? <laughs> do, you, do you know Kunta uh, Kente? <laughs> oh Lord, what about that one story where <laughs> you were on the bus? I had, and you, um, the, the, the boy had said, I think he called you the N-word or something, and you, you started to hit him. Yes. And, and uh, I was like, wow. And then you reflected back on that, like, what was I thinking? Yeah, that must have been really, um, that must have been quite the experience for you. Yeah, so we, um, so I was the only black girl in my college for two years. Then another black girl came from Uganda and it was me and her. And on Christmas day, we both happened to be around. I wasn't going back home for Christmas. Her family lived in Vienna and we decided that we were gonna meet somewhere in the city and then we would go to her house because my aunt and uncle who I stayed with were away. So we meet on Christmas, this is Christmas day. Christmas, everybody's supposed to be happy on Christmas day. <laughs> you know, so we get on the train, it's called the Strassenbahn. 
and we're on this train and we're happily discussing about our Christmas plans, what we're going to eat in the house. We're talking happy and at the back I just heard this person in the back in German and he says, in, I will translate into English, he says, what are you so happy about when you're just a couple of niggers? And my first reflex was, it's Christmas Day, and then you're going to ruin my Christmas Day by saying this to me. And immediately, I just folded up the magazine I had, <laughs> and I jumped to the back. <laughs> I jumped to the back of the train, and I started to hit this guy. <laughs> But there are so many things that were wrong with this situation. Because first of all, this was a guy. This was a, a guy that was likely under the, under the influence of something, alcohol, whatever. He could have overpowered me. The train was empty. There was no witnesses but me, him, and my friend. You know, and as I was hitting him, I started to come to that realization. And the, the, the train driver screeches the train to a halt. And I'm like, OK, it's time to pack a bag. Because <laughs> I'm like, we're the black ones on here. He's going to throw us off the train. And so we start gathering our things. The guy is still cursing. I'm like, you know what, this, you are irrelevant right now because we need to get off this train. And the train driver comes. And we're so ready to get off the train. We're like, you know, we're going to go. We know, don't call the cops. And he takes this guy by the collar and he throws him out onto the sidewalk. And he says, I'm so sorry, I saw what happened. And that was surprising to me because that was very uncommon. So, but in reflection on that scenario, like I looked at the bigger picture of why I was there. Why was I in Vienna? At what cost was I there? It wasn't free for me to go to school there. It was very expensive and it came at a significant cost to my parents. Um, and to their own livelihood and type of lifestyle they lived. And I was like, I'm fighting with an idiot on a train who is of no relevance to the grand scheme of my life. So if this guy had stabbed me, if he had beaten me up, if, if I had gotten onto the, uh, the, the train guy had got called the police and they had revoked my visa, then what will I say to my parents? That, you know, and you think back to the struggle that led you to this place that allows you to be in this position, to have this opportunity to go to school here. And I imagine my mom say, so you are fighting <laughs> on the train. I'm here walking to pay your school fee and you are fighting with a nobody on the train. So you really have to take into perspective, because in that moment, there was a lot of anger. But really, who was that guy? Nobody. He was no one. He was really nobody. I really loved reading about your career journey. So I work in HR. Yes. <laughs> I saw that eye roll, Shaka. <laughs> And so when I read about people's um, career, it's, it's really exciting for me personally, but this is personal for me. To read how you started from a place where low experience, just comfortable accepting whatever people were giving you. If they made room for you, you show up. If they didn't, you didn't ask. To grow in into this person who learned that uh, no one is laying up at night thinking, how will I make Bola prosper? <laughs> you needed to take control of your own trajectory. Um, and then there was one story in there where somebody was taking credit for your work and how you like were strategic. It was the str strategic way that you handle the situations. I mean, you, coming from the girl who was beating the nobody on the train <laughs> into this person who's being very thoughtful about how, okay, identifying the issues that were going on and then deciding how you're going to handle it. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. And before I talk about that, I'll just say that if you're a woman that's working in corporate America, you need to be a beast. Yeah. Because nobody 
cares about you. And that's just the boss to tell you, oh my God, you're doing such a great job. <laughs> you need to be a beast at your place of work because when it's time for them to take credit for your work, they will. When it's time for them to find who to blame is you that didn't do it right. And nobody is, nobody's, if you don't advocate for yourself, nobody's going to do it for you, right? Um, and so for me, I didn't know anything about, when you first come out of college and you get a job, you're happy to get a job, you don't know anything about negotiation, you don't know anything about anything. And I sit down there and we're having lunch and HR doesn't like this conversation where you're like, so what is your salary? <laughs> so we started that conversation. And I'm sitting there, by the way, Shaka is here, this is my friend, we got our first jobs together, so we're in consulting. Uh, but we're in different groups. So she kind of knows this story. But we are sitting down there, and the, I got a, a, a starting salary of $54,000, no bonus. And I'm sitting with another friend of ours. Like, well, I got $65,000, and I got a $10,000 bonus. And there's somebody else, yeah, I got $61,000, and I got a $5,000 bonus, and they gave me a moving fee. And I'm like, listening to this conversation, I realized that I am the lowest paid person on this table. And that's because I just didn't ask. I was like, how did you get that? I asked. I asked for more money. I asked for a, a, a moving bonus to move cities. I asked for a sign-on bonus. I didn't ask. I just got my $54,000. I was like, you have money. I'm making money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rich. And so that, that, um, that lunch that we had was very upsetting for me because I'm like, I'm better than a lot of these people at the work I do on this table, and I'm getting paid less, you know, um, and it was just very upsetting for me. So that was one of those moments where I'm like, I need to figure out how to advocate for myself. I need to figure out how to ask for more. I need to figure out how to be more confident in the workplace. Um, I need to figure out how to, you know, not let people take credit for my work. So that team lead, um, I didn't know. You know when you're the junior on the team? or you don't really go to the big meetings and you just do the work and you give the updates, then they go to the meeting and they come back and they say, this is the extra work we need to do. It was kind of like that. And then one day in the hallway, the executives, so I worked in consulting, which meant we come into these companies and we do certain strategies, whatever. So the executive we were working for that was the head of our project was like, you know what, you should come to one of our, our, our update meetings. I, I want to hear your update. I want to know what you are working on because he's wondering why He's paying the staff, but I've never heard anything from you. So I told the team lead, you know, this so-and-so invited me into the office. I go, no, you don't need to come. And then he sends an email and says, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing your update. So we go to the team meeting. All the executives of the company are there. And they ask me a question he will answer. And they say, Bola, what are your thoughts on this? And he, before I can say, well, he will answer. And then as he's presenting his updates, I'm like, but this is, all, this is all my work. This is all my work. This is my, I did all this work. <laughs> so we left the meeting. And I was like, how could, I, was, I went for a walk around the building. I'm like, this guy took all the credit for my work. You know, I didn't even get to talk in the meeting. And I was like, you know what? So that's a very Nigerian thing. <laughs> we'll see. So we worked from Monday to Thursday. On Friday, I... I, I opened up the email and I copied the whole, the whole company. I was like, I would like to share my updates. <laughs> on Monday, blah, blah, blah. On Tuesday, I troubleshot and discovered this is the strategy, this is the recommendation, this is the, 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 the send. Within two minutes of sending, why'd you send that email? I was like, I wanted to share my updates with the team. What do you mean by sharing your updates? I'm like, because I did the, I did the work. 
And so when I did that, it was difficult for him to take credit for my work anymore because I was sending the email, and that was me taking ownership. Nobody asked me to send the email, uh, but they appreciated getting that email, right? And that was me advocating for myself. And I think it's really important that when you're working in a career that you don't, even though it's more comfortable to sit behind the scenes and to just be quiet and you know attend the meetings but sit in the back corner, it's really important that you let your voice be heard and you let your employer know that you are there and you add value. Because guess what, when it's time to fire people, mm. right? They're gonna say, okay, what does Bola do? What does this person do, what does this person do? I've never heard her talk in a meeting. You know what, let's, let's fire this person. What value does she add? What work does she do here? So it's really important that you, you advocate for yourself, you ask for more. And so for me, I spoke to my career counselor about my pay and it was like, okay, let's talk about what we can do to get you the highest possible raise, to get you the next highest possible bonus. But I was still at a, at a disadvantage because whatever bonus I got was as a percentage of that base salary, right? So going into a different job, I was now equipped with all these new skills of how to advocate for myself because you cannot expect, even your boss that tells you how much they love you, when they go into the meeting with the senior executives, let me tell you, they're not thinking about you, they're thinking about themselves, okay? They're hyping themselves. And so I always tell people at my very last job, I got so good at negotiating, so good at negotiating. Everybody had a Windows computer, I was like, I only use a Mac. Uh, <laughs> We had no work from home policy. I'm like a new mom, I'm a new, I need to work from home. And the reason why I was able to do this was because on the interview day, I, when I went in for the last interview, I started getting introduced to the executives and I started hearing, hi, Mibola, she's gonna, ta she's gonna take over the business strategy role we've been trying to fill for two years. You've been trying to fill this role for two years. There was a significant curve of skill set that I had and I was like, you guys are gonna, first of all, pay me what I'm worth. I'm like, I want more, and then I want a bonus. And then I know you don't have a work from home policy, but I need to work from home. I know you guys only do two weeks of vacation, but I need three weeks of vacation. Oh, I really, I need two monitors at my desk when I'm actually in the office. This chair doesn't really quite work for me. <laughs> You, and you have yeah, to. Yeah, you, you, you have, have to. to. You have to. You have to add. And if you cannot say it, if you're too shy to say it to your boss, type it in an email yes. and then send. Yeah. Send it at 5 o'clock so you don't have to deal with, wait for the response. <laughs> and um, in the morning, you know. Because <laughs> that's what I would do when I was trying to get comfortable with negotiating for myself or advocating for myself. Because so, when, when I'm sending an email, I don't feel under pressure to like, say something, sometimes it's difficult to ask when the person is staring at you, but when you, when you type the email, you have all this time to gather your, talk, your thoughts, to make an impression of yourself, and to state your case in a way that you may not have been able to say in person. So if you are feeling uncomfortable about having this conversation in person, tell them, I will email you. Right? And after you send the email, you can go and talk about it. But you, you have to use your voice at work. You have to advocate for yourself. And you also have to learn how to say no. So I'll tell you yeah. one other story. Um, there was, I used to work in cable, and we had to do truck rolls. <laughs> you know what a truck roll is? It's when you get on a truck with a contractor, and you go up and down to people's houses to see what their service is like in their house. So you guys have had people from your utility company come to your house. So I had to go with the technicians to observe their process. 
And technicians were of two camps. They were the employees and the contractors. And I, I don't know, like, there are certain types of experiences that you have with men on the street as you're walking by, but then I'm stuck in a truck with this guy who is either like being completely inappropriate or insulting me the whole time. I don't know why you're here, why you're here who you think you are, keeping tabs on me, what you write about me, that kind of stuff. And so we get to a point, and I'm like, I cannot do this. This is actually quite stressful, so I'm going to go tell my boss, I don't feel comfortable going on these truck rolls anymore. You know, there was one time I was running because somebody had to put a dog and we wanted to check and they hadn't paid their bill and they opened they let the dog go and we're all like <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go on this truck roll and she was like well you know I understand that you don't want to go on the truck roll but this is what the client wants so you know what maybe you shouldn't wear lipstick pull your hair back uh, you should stop wearing dresses to work uh, and I was like so I left and I'm like I went home and I thought about it. I'm like why would I what do you mean I should don't wear high heels why, do I, why should I not wear lipstick? I shouldn't wear the dress I bought for work. And so I, I talked to somebody, and the next day I was like, you know what, I'm not going on the truck roll anymore. And she was like, well, who's going to go? And I was like, you, you go, because I'm not going. And luckily for me, it wasn't just me that felt that sentiment. So when I said it, it gave somebody else the power to come and say, you know what, I, did, you, did you go on those truck rolls? No, okay. It gave somebody else the power to say, you know what, I don't want to go. And all of a sudden, nobody wanted to go on the truck roll. And then they had to have this conversation with this technician team that says, when our staff is with you, you don't talk to them, you don't heckle them, you don't. And so I had to say no, even though it was something that was required. But it just wasn't comfortable. And it didn't put me in a good position at work. And so you also have to be comfortable with saying no if it doesn't fit you, if it doesn't suit you, if you feel uncomfortable. And I think a lot of times women at work have are challenged by saying no because you don't want to feel like you can't hang with guys. You don't want to feel like you can't hold your own when all the guys can hold their own, you know, in the office. So it's really important to learn how to say no at work too. Yeah. Yeah. No. I second all of that. <laughs> As the HR person in this room. And then, and then call HR. And then call HR. <laughs> So I do want us to have time for Q&A. So how was it for you opening yourself up? Because you talked not only about your journey, you also talked about mental health. You talked about the challenges as being a new mom, navigating career, switching from um, having a job to becoming a full-time entrepreneur and the whole drama that comes with that. So how was it for you to open yourself up in such a way that you didn't hold anything back. Um, it was very honest and transparent. You showed us the good, you showed us the ugly. Um, what was that experience like for you, exposing all of that to everybody in that way? So the first time Ola met me, like a few months later, she's like, you know what? I feel like when we met, I told you all these things about me, <laughs> but I actually did not learn anything about you. <laughs> And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's actually a skill set. <laughs> and I have to admit it, because I'm introverted by nature, so I, I know how to finesse. Like, we, oh my god, tell me about your dress. How are you, how are you, girl? So that's, that's how I am. And it's not, it's not first of all, I just, I tend to do, I don't want to talk about, let's talk about you. So, um, but when, when I was writing this book, um, obviously I picked, I picked what I wanted to talk to create a, a body of work that was relevant and relatable. 
But you, I wrote the book by myself, right? Nobody's there. Nobody was there to say, oh, well, let me see what you're writing. So the challenge was when it was time to submit the book. <laughs> and they're like, oh, is the book right? I'm like, oh, no, 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 I haven't finished writing. <laughs> and then you know, I asked my husband, I'm like, you want to read the book? He's like, no, 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 I don't want to read the book. <laughs> I don't want to know what he wrote. <laughs> Like, Boa, you know, is the book where I'm like, no, I, know I need an extension. You know, the book is due in September, but I can get it to you by December. And it's sitting there, it's done, it's edited, and I, it, it was just hard to say, here is the finished product, because I knew once it was out, I can't take I can't, I can't pull it back, and I've done that with all of my books, but this one was more challenging. And so on January 2nd, after the holidays come, they're like, hey, Boa, um, is the book? I'm like, no, you know, I, you can give me another extension. Um, I can get it to you at the end of the month. And then my, my editor called me. He's like, listen, I see what you're trying to do. You're trying to style this. I know you have finished that book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's okay. Like, I will read it first, and then I will give it to the other people. And so it was. It was hard for me to submit this book. It was really hard. It, it was done for months. The cover was done before I submitted the book. <laughs> Did this. <laughs> I, mean, I sent them, here are the pictures for the cover. But Bola, what is the book? Where is the book? <laughs> uh, so just sometimes opening up can be hard. Um, you know, and there's a lot of anxiety about sharing your personal life and sharing your stories and talking about your family um, in the book. But you, know, you, you also have to think about who the book will help and how it might, it might challenge someone to be able to face their own truth and deal with their own struggles and pursue the things that they want to pursue for themselves. So I have to think about it like that. I have to think less about me and how I feel about what is out there. Um, you know, I talk about my dad in the book. He does not like that at all. Um, he's not happy about it. Uh, but this is my story to share. This is, you know, and that's the, the conversation. My mom is like, you know, I know that, I know that it, there are things I may read in there, but I understand that this is your story, this is your perspective. And you know, they're okay. My dad has come to terms with, and it's nothing bad, but you know, it's just culturally, you keep, as Maureen said, there's a lot of things you don't just go out and just be sharing your family life. Don't do that. So um, it was challenging, but it, it is what it is. It's out, I can't take back. <laughs> it was, no, it's a really good story. Um, and I like the way that it ends on a very positive note about being comfortable celebrating your wins, right? I think so many times us women, we spend so much time pushing, fighting, working, even when we get to where we want to be, we're ready to go do the next thing. But um, I like how you talk about I'll pat myself on the back. You know, I have done a really good job, and congratulations to me. Yes, and I think that's very important, and that's something that Roshi reminded me of. So you guys met two of my six advisors. These are my big sisters. They're amazing. Like, they were being very, like, humble. <laughs> like, what I've done for them, I've done nothing. They've done more for me than I've ever done for them. Um, Please, sidebar, can we talk about like the design you see on Clever Girl Finance? A lot of that is inspired by Roshi. 
and inspiring the hire who rebranded the company. That's all Roshi. So when she says she does design, she's like, but what, do, what story is this telling when you see our heroes? You know, like Roshi is behind a lot of that. And she just said, oh, I just do design. But, <laughs> but one thing she told me uh, when we first met, and she's very big on documenting. Like, she's, she's, she's always like, let's take a moment to remember this. Are you documenting this? Are you acknowledging this? Are you taking a moment? So, you know, I'm always, in, when I talk to Rosh, I'm always like, she's like, well, let's slow down. Let's take a moment. Let's take a picture. Let's soak it in. <laughs> so I learned that from her in terms of like, you, you sometimes need to pause and acknowledge what you have done um, because it also helps to boost your morale as you look at the road ahead. That might be difficult, might be hard. Um, so that you can, you can keep moving forward, right? Because whatever journey you take, whether it's in business, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your relationships, it's not always easy. It's, it can be hard. And if you don't take a moment to reflect on what has gone well for you, you'll find yourself in this woe is me space. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work out for me. It's so difficult. It's so hard. Woe is me. Woe is me. And then when you start that woe is me, then you also attract your other woe are me, woe are us people where you guys start having this pity party because none of you have stopped to say, you know what, what have we actually done well? What has gone well? So, and also, especially for black women, um, it's really important, women of color, that you acknowledge what you have done because when you look at it systemically, we're so used to putting everybody ahead of ourselves and being silent in the background. We're good at taking the back seat. There is the black woman's plight. There is the, you know, like when the pandemic happened with everything that was going on with the, um, when George Floyd died and everybody was like, when he said mama, everybody's mother stood up. People were still asking me to come and speak on this topic you know, and I'm like, why can't you use your perspective and your own voice? Why do you need a black person to come and speak on this topic when you are also here experiencing it with me? And I tend to find that people look to black women to help carry their burden, but we have enough of our own burden. And so it's really important that you acknowledge yourself. Very, very important. It's very, very important. You pat yourself on the back. You're proud to own what you have done. And people will make you feel bad. They'll tell you, oh, you're being arrogant. You're, no, it's not about that, right? Because when you acknowledge yourself, when you pat yourself on the back, you're also able to inspire somebody else in your workplace, in your family, your daughter, even your sons. Like You're able to inspire other people. So it's really, really important that you acknowledge yourself. That's super, super important. That's great. Thank you. Hope you guys enjoyed listening to this special episode and if you did be sure to catch the q a of the event on our youtube channel clever finance thank you so much for tuning into this episode and i hope you enjoyed it if you've loved the episode but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to itunes and